coming down the mountain. And uh, last week, am I good to go? Last week we talked about how we are the sons of the kingdom sown into the world. Matthew 13 verse 38 says that, that we are the sons of the kingdom sown into the world. And we are guys who have been sent from the mountain of God to engage the valley of men. That's what we said over the last two weeks. That one, we are sons of the kingdom sown into the world. Matthew 13, 38. And two, that we are being sent down the mountain to engage the valley of men. Because that's really where the world is. So if we are sons of the kingdom sown into the world, we have to engage the valley of men. And we talked about how Jesus modeled this. You see that in Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. And then he goes right down into the valley and meets up with the demoniac. We talked about how he engaged the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman at the um, well in Sychar. And so here's the thing, guys. God must be unveiled in the valley of men. It is insufficient that God be unveiled in this house. That's wonderful. I mean, it would be terrible if God wasn't unveiled here uh, through the word and the breaking of bread, through the uh, times of worship, through uh, relationship with each other. Um, I mean, it would be terrible if God was not unveiled in our presence. But God needs to be unveiled in the valley of men. God must be unveiled in the valley of men. And we have to grasp the heart of God towards man to be able to engage, um, let me put it this way, we have to understand God's heart towards man and how he engages with man so that we can have a correct perspective when we go down to the valley. Let me say that again. God must be unveiled in the valley of men. Remember, you are a living epistle. When you step into the valley, you must unveil God so people can know what God looks like. But to do that, I need to grasp God's um, perspective of how men should be engaged. I need to see how he sees man. Only then can I go into the valley with my perspective. Otherwise, I'll go into the valley with a Christian perspective. And by the way, the Christian perspective is often flawed. I've got to go with a God perspective into the valley of men. As a son and a servant, guys... My aim is to reveal what man is supposed to be in relationship with God. Let me say that again. As a son and a servant, my aim is to reveal what man is supposed to be in relationship to the Father. Just imagine that. It's one of my primary callings that I reveal what man is supposed to be in relationship to the Father. Jesus did this. Jesus would make these marvelous statements like, I have come to show you the Father. He said that so many times. I have come to show you the Father. And so one of the things that's demanded of you and me is that we reveal what man is supposed to be in relationship to the Father. But here's the thing. I cannot show what man is supposed to be in relationship to the Father if I don't understand the origin an intent that God had for man when he made him in the image of God. I cannot show what man is supposed to be in relationship with God unless I comprehend the origin of man. Unless I comprehend when God created man and he said, I made man in my image. I need to gra- get a grasp of this. It's been, it's been a fascinating week for me as I've played around with it. I 
um, had the, the dinner with what's his name Jason uh, sometime the, during the week and I was talking to him about it and he was telling me about what he uh, sees the image of God as too but so le- that's what I want to talk about I want to talk about us understanding what it is when God says I made man in my image and my likeness so let's start with that guys this might sound odd but um, Jason and Eric will confirm this because they are educated that just as man, meaning us, just as we build a temple, and after building a temple, put an image in the temple, so God for five days created this temple called the earth and the universe. And then on day six, he puts an image in the temple, his image in the temple. And surprisingly, that image was Man, just as man builds a temple and then puts an image in the temple, so God built over five days a temple called the earth and the universe and then he puts his image in the temple. And that image that he put in the temple is us. Your brow is knotting up, Diana. It is knotting Yeah, you're not supposed to have an image after that. I'm not saying, I'm not taking a pagan idea and promoting it. I'm saying the whole intent was to, uh, just as we do it now, we, we've counterfeited it. The world counterfeits it. But God created this beautiful thing and then he put his image in the middle of the beautiful thing. That is the original. And then, this is why the whole idea of idolatry stinks even more. Because there is not supposed to be any image after that. When when we are the image of God and then we bow before something that's made of stone and wood, it's even more perverse. Yeah. That's just a thought that would, uh, I thought, tickle your fancy. Uh, or um, scratch under your neck or whatever. Uh, guys, m- man was made in the the Hebrew word is T S E L E M, Selem, Shalem, of God. Shalem or Selem means image. Okay, man was made in the Selem or image image of God, and Selem at the end of the day basically means representative of the original. That's what it means. Man was made in the Selem or remote image of God. And Selem at the end of the day means representative of the original. That's what it means. So imagine this guys now. That every man, every man. (laughs) I mean I spent some time on Main Street yesterday just sitting and watching people. Every man, and we'll talk about that a little later. Every man was made in the Selim or the image of God. Every man was created to be a deputy. Every man was created to be a deputy or a representative of God. Every man. Everybody. 
Just imagine that. Hey, don't, don't, don't go off anywhere today, okay? Because it's important to understand that. I can see some of you suddenly going off somewhere. So I just wanted to stop you from dreaming. Um, Selim means image, which means representative of the original. Every man on the face of the earth. Yep. Yeah, yeah, always, always. Why, why would it any, ever be anything else? But <laughs> yeah. I think it needs to be clarified. Okay, this is gender-free. Um, every man was supposed to be a deputy. Every man was supposed to be a representative of God. Every man was imbued with, as in, in given. Every man was imbued with um, some capacity in terms of emotional, intellectual moral, relational capacity, relational capacity, to a degree that uh, reflected God. Every man was given this. Yep, every man was created as a deputy or a representative of God and imbued with a degree of, imbued with a degree of God's relational, emotional, intellectual, and moral capacity. Every man was created as a deputy or a representative of God and imbued with a degree of God's relational, emotional, intellectual, and moral capacity. And guys, this is the identity of man. This is the identity of man. I'm not talking about Christians now. I'm talking about every man. That's the beauty of this. On track, Jason? Guys, the difference is every man was then supposed to function as an obedient servant. Every man was supposed to function as an obedient servant so that he could be again he is genderless he could be an exact representation of God every man was supposed to function as, a, as an obedient servant here on earth starting with Adam, so that he could be an exact representation of God on earth. That was the origin and intent of God for man. Functioning as obedient servants, man was supposed to be an exact representation of God. I, I, I'm fascinated by this thought that every man is supposed to be a deputy of God. Every man is supposed to be a representative of God. Every man is imbued with some moral, relational, emotional and spiritual and, um, um, relational and intellectual um, capacity to a degree of God. This is his identity. And I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about Muslims, Hindus, uh, animists, witches, pagans, New Agers, Catholics, Protestants, Charismatics, Pentecostals and you. All of them. So, 
we were supposed to function as obedient servants so that he, we could be an exact representation of him. But man fell away from being an exact representation. But man fell away from being an exact representation. But man fell away from being an exact representation. Man fell away from being an exact representation when he chose being like God over being a representative of God. He chose being like God over being a representative of God. He was supposed to be an exact representation. But he fell away when he chose being like God over being a representative of God. So the counterfeit, which is Satan, deceived the duplicate, which is me, (laughs) into grasping for equality with the original and in doing so distorted who I could have been. And yet Jesus reverses that when in Philippians 2.6, what does he say? Even though he was equal with God and could have grasped equality with God, he chooses not to. So the counterfeit deceived the duplicate into grasping for equality with the original. And in the process, exact representation goes out of the window. Go ahead, man. There was a whole realm. There was a whole realm of uh, um, creation that had to be stewarded over, and then there was a whole realm of the angelic that had rebelled. And uh, if you start off with Genesis one, it t- talks about how the earth was a chaotic mass, and then the Holy Spirit was brooding over the void, and then God started creating. So there was representation needed, not just to steward what was already created, but to bring into order that which was out of order. And we are doing that now. Going up to the high places. Stewards and enforcers were required. Stewardship, governance, enforcing. Man gave names to all the animals. In the beginning, long time ago, Bob Dylan. Man gave names to all the animals. Sorry. Governance, stewardship, and enforcement. Thank you. Yeah. Guys, but despite this, remember, uh, uh, and this is so important, despite this, the identity of every man, please perish the thought of Christians right now. Despite all this happening, the identity of every man, the identity of every man, the identity of every man in terms of origin and intent the identity of every man in terms of origin and intent is still that is still that of an image bearer of an image bearer is still that of an image bearer, is still that of an image bearer, or 
representative of God. Commissioned to act on his behalf. Check. Check. Okay. Okay, guys, this applies to every person on the face of the earth. The identity of every man in terms of origin and intent is still that of an image bearer or a representative of God commissioned to act on his behalf. Of every person on the face of the earth. He's still an image bearer. She's still an image bearer. He or she is still a representative of God and he or she still is commissioned to act on his behalf God does not rescind the representative nature of man guys God does not rescind the representative nature of God uh, just imagine that God does not rescind he does not re revoke he does not annul the representative nature of man he does not do that. I mean the Bible is full of stories where someone who is a representative really messes up. I was thinking of Peter. One of the first guys to be called. One of the first guys to uh, be set up as a leader. One of the first guys who is given a heavenly revelation of who Christ is. One of, the f one of the first guys who sees the empty tomb. One of the first guys who walks on water. One of the first, one of the first, one of the first. One of the first guys... And yet, he's also the guy that completely messes up his representation when he goes and denies the one who he represents with curses and foul words. And yet, it does not rescind the representative that Peter was supposed to be. In fact, God goes out of his way to restore him and set him up again as a representative. So, please understand that this applies to every believer. <laughs> It just it changes the way we look at people, man. That every man you will see on the street, every person you will meet, as obnoxious as they may be, or as wonderful as they may be, they are all still image bearers or representatives of God, actually commissioned to act on his behalf. If they can come into a place of servitude or obedience, we'll talk about that a little later. Man may have wanted independence from the father. He may have squandered his inheritance. He may have hired himself out to the citizen of a foreign country. He may have filled his stomach with pods. He may be sleeping with the pigs. And yet, there's a ring, a robe, a sandal, a fatted calf, and a father waiting for him. To restore him back into who he should be. He comes and says, I want to be one... 
uh, as one of your servants and he says, no, but you're my son, you're supposed to represent me. So even after having squandered his inheritance, fed his stomach with pods, sleeping with the pigs, hiring himself out as a slave to a foreign ruler, guess what awaits him? A ring, a robe, sandals and a fatted calf and above all the father, waiting to restore. God does not rescind the representative nature of man. Remember that. Remember that. Guys, sear this in your memory. Sear this in your memory. God's view of the identity of man in terms of origin and intent is still that of an image bearer or representative of God commissioned to act on his behalf. My heart was so joyful yesterday uh, as I was parked on Main Street um, waiting for uh, somebody. Just parked there and I was thinking to myself, wow, people were passing me by and not too many of them looked Christian. But I was sitting there thinking, oh shucks, there goes a representative of God, an image bearer of God who is commissioned to act on his behalf. It is mind-blowing to see uh, Sardarjis, Punjabis, Hindus, Muslims, um, walking past me and all of them suddenly um, recognizing them as ones made in the image of God ones who are representatives of God and that nature that representative nature has not been rescinded that they bear his image that they are imbued with certain intellectual moral, relational and emotional qualities straight from God and that they are actually commissioned to act on his behalf and my heart was joyful because suddenly I had pleasure in man. It was a strange, strange feeling. I actually took pleasure in man. Again, right now it's definitely genderless. I actually took pleasure in this thing called man. It's fascinating to watch these men and women go by. I thought about the father, this is so cool. I have never, I've been joyful about mountains and. Mm, sunsets and aircrafts and uh, friends but never about man in general I get sometimes more excited about a dolphin or a tiger than man but this is the zenith of his creation and he is wonderfully made fearfully and wonderfully made took on a whole new meaning for me sear this in your mind so that we operate from a different vantage point You have to practice this, guys. I was going to say this applies to everybody we rub shoulders with at work. And everybody. Everywhere. Everyone you meet on the street, everyone you meet at work. Guys, we are made in the image of God. And so here's the other thing that <laughs> is fascinating. Whatever I do to people, I do to a representative of God, and thereby I do to God. <laughs> Just imagine that. We are made in the image of God. Therefore, whatever I do to people, I do to a representative of God, and thereby I do it to God. Luke, uh, no, Matthew 21, 33 has this parable where the landlord sends some servants to the vineyard, and the farmhands kill him. So he sends some more servants. They kill them too. Then he sends his son, and they kill the son too. Now the parable is about the kingdom. 
But why do you think the landlord is getting upset about what is happening? Because he's sending his representatives, and every time they do any harm to his representative, they're doing it to him. So, because we are made in the image of God, whatever I do to you, a representative of God, I'm doing to God. Now do you see why Matthew 25, 35 onwards makes a lot of sense, where it says, when did we see you thirsty? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison? And Jesus' reply is, as you did to the least of them, you did to me. Whatever I do to someone else who bears the image of God, means I'm doing it to the representative of God and whatever I do to him, I do to God. Again, it's not about Christians. Much more so when it's a Christian. <laughs> because now you're also messing around with the, uh, with the son or daughter of the father. I think I told you how um, this lady in another church was making fun of me and I wanted to lash back at her and then decided not to. And as I was driving away, I told the Lord that father, I really wanted to give it to her but I stepped back, but I'm really feeling bad about the way she was making fun of me. And his response was mind-blowing. He said, Jacob, thank you for being kind to one of my daughters. And it blew my mind. And filled my eyes with tears. And I said to the Lord, you're so easy to please, I'll do this for you any day. So much more so if it's a child of God. When we do things for a representative, we are actually doing things for the one he represents. Distorted though the representative may be. Guys, here's other, some other things that are fascinating about the people in the valley. The, the, if we engage the valley of men, we will not be able to engage them if we don't have this perspective. Know this, that everyone you engage in the valley of men has an eternal spirit. Everyone has an eternal spirit. Know this, that everyone was supposed to know God, love God, and dwell in His presence for eternity. That was the origin and intent for every person you meet. Every person you meet at Lufthansa, or you meet at your place, or you meet at Telus, or you meet in a boat, every person you meet was meant to love, know, and dwell with God. Do you see why the approach of you will go to hell is not necessarily the best approach? That's to be used as a last means when they don't listen to you and when you've thumped the Bible on their head and they still don't respond, then threaten them with hell. I'm just kidding, guys. The point is that there's a whole different way of approaching it. There is not a single person on the face of the earth whose sins are not paid for. That always blows me away. That everyone is purpled with the blood of Jesus Christ. There's not a person on the earth whose sins have not been paid for. That they have not appropriated it is different. Guys, there are only two kinds of people then. There are those that are reconciled and those that are redeemed. In a sense of speaking. In 2 Corinthians 5.19 it says, God through Jesus was reconciling the whole world to himself through the cross. So God has done the job of reconciliation. But not everyone who God has done the job of reconciliation for are redeemed because they have failed to appropriate salvation. Uh, you don't have to hold on to that one. I just like the sentence. 
because that can sometimes mess us up if we don't say it properly they'll think we believe that we believe in universal salvation that's not what i'm saying but i just like the sentence um guys once we have this mindset we'll respect the dignity of every man and we'll confer equal worth on them we won't grumble about tax collectors and sinners um sitting at the table as far the pharisees did in Luke 5 why does your master go around sitting around with tax collectors and um sinners won't have that attitude won't have that attitude hey remember something you were once in this category some of you 20 years ago some of you 4 years ago some of you 40 years ago don't want to go beyond that and insult people isn't that awesome man thanks for some of the th- things that you brought up jason during dinner cuz it really helped me with putting it all together so questions comments Hey Bruce. Primary means first and secondary means second and so you're saying that our primary identity was and is being an image bearer. The secondary thing was that we fell away. It happened second. And I think the reason why we've got this whole thing messed up and you even have to do this teaching is because out of the reformation what happened is we've been taught since the time of Luther that our primary identity is as uh sinners that our primary identity wow. is sin uh, original sin was one of the biggest emphasized theological platforms of the reformation and ever since then we're taught sinner 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 mm-hmm. sinner but our primary identity first was image bearer wow um, he said very good wow praise god thank you let me just say it for the sake of the cd what eric just said and he is one of those educated people uh, i'm just i just want to throw that in every time you say something profound <laughs> what eric just said was that during the reformation or uh, one of the outcomes of the reformation was the shift of man's identity to that of a sinner and when actually our primary identity is that we are image bearers or exact representations or supposed to be an exact representation of god or a representative of god made in the selem or image of god a representative of the original and that's what we've lost so we go back to this whole thing of sinner saved sinner saved and therefore divide man as lower and higher or they now you'll have to think of your relatives a little differently any other comments or questions I, I would I would first address the boisterous what is the other word aggressive. the boisterous aggressive sin of the people of god and then the boisterous aggressive sin of society at least society is functioning according to their original dna we are not we, we have christ in us we should be exhibiting a different 
crop. At least society is doing what their um, what their default is. Yep. I'm I'm not talking about condoning sin, guys. I'm talking about looking at now humans as made in the image of God and not looking at humans as sinners. That's that's not the first way we look at them. Because the moment we look at them as sinners, um, it changes everything. Could it also be that we, we actually need to look at the individuals and not just think society as a whole, but each yeah, individual? Yeah, each individual. Yeah. yeah. And, and try this. Sit one day by mm, the sidewalk and watch people and keep saying, there goes another one of them. Oh, there goes another one of them. Representatives of God commissioned to act on his behalf, image bearers imbued with relational, emotional, moral, and um, intellectual cap- uh, capabilities to a degree. Oh, shucks, there goes another one of them. Doesn't look like me at all. But go, there goes another one of them. Actually, if I can, sometimes when I'm at a red light, as pe- people are crossing, I, I've had this thought, not to the extent that you can talk about it, that this is somebody that was actually created to be in the image of God. Like, yeah. as I see them walk by. Yeah. The, uh, I've never been joyful about as as I was. I, I felt such joy, man. It was so much fun watching people. Any other comments, questions, additions? Hey, you cut your hair. <laughs> That's just a sermon illustration, yeah. Your mom. No, it looks quite okay. Okay, moving on then. Let's take another aspect that we need to understand if we are to engage the valley of men. And uh, does anyone want to add anything before I move on? No. The other thing we need to um, understand if we engage the valley of men is uh, um, the fact that if we are coming down from the mountain, what are we bringing down from the mountain? We talk about, oh, don't want to stay on the mountain of the Lord, have to go down and engage the valley of the valley of men. So what are you bringing down from the mountain to the valley of men? If you're coming empty-handed, you might as well stay up on the mountain a little longer. So let's go to Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 4. Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 4. Isaiah 2, Isaiah 2, 2 to 4. Here's what it says. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And this is the part I want us to look at. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Guys, they won't be able to go up to the mountain of the Lord till I come down from the mountain and engage the valley of men. Jesus came down so that men could go up. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out of Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Guys, people can't go up to the mountain if I don't come down from the mountain and engage and impact the valley of men. But what am I supposed to bring down from the mountain when I go down into the valley? And that's what we want to talk about. So the first thing is 
in verse, the first part of verse, the second part of verse 3. He will teach us his ways. So the first thing we bring down from the mountain is teaching his ways. First one is teach us his ways. Guys, here's the thing. I need then if I come down from the mountain to be able to instruct for accurate living according to the word of God. I need to come down from the mountain and I have to be able to instruct ways of accurate living based on the word of God. I have to be able to do that. Malachi 2 verses 6 and 7 says this. It says that a priest should have true instruction on his lips or in his mouth. A priest should have true instruction on his lips or in his mouth. And then it goes on to say, and priests are the kind of people to whom men will come to seek the instruction on their lips. They don't have to go blabbering it or stand on a soapbox. They are the kind of people who to begin with have true instruction in their mouth. And what follows is that people come and seek it of them. So the first point is teach us his ways as an instruction for accurate living based on scripture. Understand that uh, as you come down as a priest king into the valley that true instruction must be on your lips and you must have uh, the kind of... Uh, you can't... You, you have to dress up like people so that they can come to you and seek it off you. You can't come down in the royal robes of a king from the mountain. They'll send you right back up into your palace. And here's another thing. Guys, uh, and examine yourself. Like Haggai says, or Malachi says, consider your ways. Here's the thing. What shall I say of you? What shall God say of you? Or what shall you say of me? Will it be Hebrews 5.12 or will it be 2 Timothy 2.2? Will it be Hebrews 5.12 or will it be 2 Timothy 2.2? This is when I need to hear the uh, sound of pages turning. Will it be Hebrews 5.12 or will it be 2 Timothy 2.2? 2, 2? Yeah, that's the right sound. Now if you can get to those scriptures too. Hebrews 5.12 or 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, which will it be? I can't hear your digital Bible, James. Okay. Hebrews 5.12 says this. Hebrews 5.12 says that, um, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And now 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. No, it's not 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. No, it is, it is. Yeah. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So my question to you and your question to me should be, where are you at, Jacob? Or where are you at, Diana? By now, you should be teachers. I'm not talking about operating in the function of a teacher. I'm saying, by now, 
If you've been here for three and a half years, by now you should be teachers. And when I say teachers, I mean not teaching anything. Teaching accurate, teaching, bringing down instruction for accurate living. So my question to you is, where are you at? I'm not talking about giving a testimony. I'm not talking about telling a people how to get saved. Those are elementary teachings. That's what Paul is talking about. That do I have to go back and visit elementary teachings? I'm talking about teaching and instructing in the ways of life. Where are you at? And you can ask that of me too. Where am I at? Have what you heard in the presence of witnesses over the last three and a half years in this church. Has it been trusted now to reliable men and women who can now go and teach it to others? And if you're still struggling with elementary teachings, why? Hey, you're going down from the mountains? You better make sure of this. Because we ain't going down from the mountains to get a few people saved. Comments? Disagreements? Um, chaffing? No? Hong Kong? Great. Hey, look at the way I'm coming and saying this to you. You have a right to speak back in a gentler tone, but you can challenge me too. Okay, second thing that happens there in Isaiah 2.2 is teach us his ways. Then it says, walk in his paths. Walk, Guys, please take what I just questioned you seriously. I told you this is a season when this house is going to come down the mountain. Do not be like Ahimaaz, who will come down the mountain and will want to do something, while he's supposed to do something, he's doing something else and never gets a job done. Do not be like that. Step into the opportunity or the window or the season that God has created for us. These are not functions, these are not gifting, these are not graces. This is simple. You should be able to teach accurate ways by now, says Paul. Okay, and it doesn't matter whether you're skilled at speaking or not. This has nothing to do with speaking. Okay, walk in his paths. Guys, to walk in his paths is to model behavior and patterns of accurate living. The first one is teach us his ways. Second is walk in his paths. To walk in his paths is to model behavior and patterns of accurate living. The Pharisees could teach, but they could not impart a pattern that was worthy to be followed. Let me say that again. The Pharisees could teach, but they could not model a pattern or a path that was worthy to be followed. They could only teach. So now, once we've finished the teaching His ways, now we've got to show the valley of men what it is to walk in His paths or His ways. So show me how you model a pattern of living. Among other things, yes. Show me how you model a pattern of living, of accurate living. Prove that, sorry, go ahead, James. 
Go ahead. By listening and then you'll have to translate it into a pattern of living. It has to show. Guys, prove that you're not subverted by foreign values. Prove that you won't drink the king's wine or eat his meat. Prove that you know how to stand in the systems of men. Prove that you can display the grace and wisdom of God standing in the systems of men. Okay. Like Daniel, prove that you're not subverted by foreign values. Foreign as in foreign to your kingdom culture. Prove it. Show me a pattern of living. You should demand that of me. Jacob, you say this, show me your pattern of living. Show me your pattern of living. Prove that you're not subverted by foreign values. Prove that you won't eat the king's meat or drink his wine. Surprisingly, they tried doing that with him, but he maintained how his stand in the middle of a system that was um, holding him as a captive and established a plumb line that had the very king who brought in that system to bow down and say, your God is God. Prove how you prove that you know how to stand in the systems of the world and yet display the grace and the wisdom of God. Guys, pattern, pattern and model accurate living. That's something that we have to take down from the mountain. That's the second thing they say people from the mountain will bring down. Like, uh, I mean, I have to internalize within me three things, guys. I have to internalize within me the nature or the character of God, the methods He operates, and the ways He walks. Let me say that again. If I want to pattern or model the ways of God here on earth, I have to then internalize or I have to um, I have to so root myself in knowing how Jesus' Jesus's methods of operation are, in knowing Jesus' nature and character, and in knowing Jesus' way of walking. Once these become what I'm rooted in, once this becomes what I hunger after, once this becomes what I want to imitate, then it is natural for me to begin to model or pattern a way of living that will be so in sync with God. Um, uh, Jesus had certain, um, uh, his walk was how he used to conduct himself with people, his nature was who he really was. But then with everything he had, uh, uh, a method of operation that came through, hearing and then doing, he, the, there are so many clues in the Bible in terms of how God, how Jesus would operate in different situations. And yet there is his nature, which is everything that the Holy Spirit is, gentle, kind, full of self-control, goodness, meekness, faithfulness. And then there is walking in his ways, which is to walk like Jesus did in humility. Method of operation has to do more with the doing. Nature has to do with his very life and the way he walked is the expression of his nature. Method of operation has more to do with his doing. The third thing that uh, Isaiah 2 says um, should be brought down from the mountain into the valley of men is um, this amazing statement that out of Zion shall go forth the law. Out of Zion shall go forth the law. 
out of Zion shall go forth the law. Now the law here may be defined as precepts, mandates, life principles for governance and stewardship of the nations. Uh, I love this last bit, of the nations. I'm not content with... The law shall go out of Zion. The whole idea of the law going forth out of Zion is that Zion being the mountain of God. If we want to bring down and engage the value of men and impact the value of men, one of the things we have to begin to show or, or, or have to begin to be able to translate in the value of men is precepts, mandates, principle, life principles of governance and of stewardship. That's what law means. I'm not talking about taking over political power or being in authority somewhere. But there are life principles of governance and stewardship that you can now begin to exhibit, display, cultivate. Guys, I want to say this. You hear me talking about principles very often. We do operate by principles, but we don't lead by principles. We lead by patterns that we model and impart by practicing these principles. Remember, principles don't lead us. Principles are what we model. Principles don't lead us. Principles are what we model. A principle that is not modeled is an abstract nothing. Great. So there's a principle called sowing and reaping. Clap your hands and praise the Lord for it. What's the point, man? If I don't actually now model that principle. Principles do not lead us. Principles are established so that we can model them. Once we model them, the pattern then leads us. How do we impart these principles to the valley below? We impart these principles first by coming into relationship, guys. Hey, look at this again. And please go and listen to the CD again because it will make more sense as you listen to it twice. The law shall go forth from Zion. The law is the precepts, the mandates and the life principles of governance and stewardship for the nations. Not for an individual, not for just a small group of people. For the nations, one life at a time. For the nations, one life at a time. I have to now take these principles that I have learned, I have to model them, I have to pattern them. How then do I transfer it to the valley of men? The first thing I need to do is I need to come into relationship, guys. Open yourself up to relationship and people will begin to associate with you. That's the first step. The first step for the transference of... For the first step for the law to go forth from Zion is association. Guys, every pattern can only be imparted through relationship. Patterns can only be imparted through relationship. So the first thing I need to do as I engage the value of men is I have to open myself up and invite people into relationship with me. This allows them then to associate with me, associate with you, associate with us. That's the first step. 
Hey, the same thing applies between a leader and the house or the father and the son. I first have to invite you or open my life so that you may be able to relate with me. Once I open my life up so that you can relate with me. Let me, let me take Eddie as an example so that I don't come out looking better than I am. The first thing Eddie had to do was Eddie had to open his life up to me and give me an invitation to begin to relate to him. I did. What happened then is when I associated with him, the next step that happens is uh, I associate with him and now I begin to see how he patterns or models the principles of life. And then what happens is Association leads to imitation. Now that people have begun to associate with you, they'll see your life, they will see how you govern, how you govern first this piece of earth that you are, how you govern your marriage, how you govern your monies, how you govern when you are sick, how you govern when you have a crisis, how you govern your children, how you govern your man-woman relationships, how you govern your reaction to uh, uh, outrages, how you govern... Uh, your decision-making process, how you govern your hearing, how you steward what God tells you, how you steward the money you have, the marriage you have, the children you have, the husband you have, the car you have. And they begin to see it. They, uh, they've come into association and as they see it, they say, oh shucks, this is not where I'm at and this is not where I want to be at. I'm going to imitate. The moment they want to imitate, guess what happens? Impartation happens. Where now you're able to impart into their lives what you are already patterning or modeling. This is why I said, I'm, oh, this is why earlier today I said, hey, take advantage of this piece of earth. Associate and imitate what is good in my life. And there are some good things in my life. And the bad things I keep well hidden. I'm just kidding. I'm trying to be more and more transparent. But there are good things in my life. And then what will happen is when you start imitating. And when I see that there is imitation. I'll be able to impart more. That's what Eddie did with me. He saw that Jacob was beginning to imitate his ways. Jacob didn't fully understand why what he was doing. But he was beginning to imitate Eddie's ways. And then Eddie would sit down and he would begin to impart. He would, he would stir up that which is within me. Or plant a seed that was reserved for me. And he would begin to impart as he began to, began to impart. I begin to imitate now not just because I've come into association but because I understand. And now the seed that is in me begins to grow itself. And that leads to the final stage which is the formation of Christ in a situation, in a person, in a congregation, in a nation. Association opens the door to imitation where you uh, start imitating a principle that this person has patterned for you, is modeling for you. And that results in the formation of Christ in a situation, in a crisis, in a nation, in a people, in a congregation. This boy can sleep very well. Oh, you're supposed to keep your eyes shut when I talk. Guys, at the end of the day, this is the definition of discipleship, by the way. This is what discipleship looks like. Uh, what do you think has happened with Eric and Penny? 
First, I related to them, opened my life up to uh, Eric, and he took advantage of it and started associating with me. Once he started associating with me, he started imitating with me half the time, not knowing exactly why. And then I started imparting. And then the time came when imitation and impartation had come to such a point that Eric and Penny could step out of their situation with um, no um, uh, safety net and jump into what they've jumped to. And now the formation of Christ is increasingly happening in them. And now they are doing exactly this to the people that come coming into their house. This couple are doing exactly this to the people in their house. This is what discipleship is defined as. It's a definition of discipleship. One life at a time, one congregation at a time, one nation at a time. Guys, get the hang of this and you will benefit. You will benefit. Do not get the hang of it and um, you'll chew meat occasionally and drink milk occasionally. I sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You will see people come after you and they'll go through this process and you will realize that you're speaking modestly, not presumptuously, and this works. This is how Jesus did it, guys. Questions, comments? Last one. It says in Isaiah 2.2 2, that the law shall go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem as in Galatians 4.26, Jerusalem, meaning us. The Jerusalem from above. Even though in the Old Testament it's the Jerusalem that's physical and in bondage. So, the word of the Lord shall go out of Jerusalem. The, the Hebrew for the word of the Lord used there is Dabar. Dabar. And Dabar means spoken word pertaining to a matter or business. The Lord shall go out of Zion and the word or the Dabar of the Lord, the spoken word pertaining to a matter or business. Or in other words, well, it can be, it can also be current revelation. It can also be the proceeding word. And let's even say it's a spoken word that has been recorded for us in the Bible. Recorded in scriptures, just so we are safe. Just so I'm not preaching heresy. Pardon? Yeah, Dabar is um, basically means spoken word pertaining to a matter or pertaining to some business. And um, it says the Dabar shall go out of Jerusalem. Uh, that's one of the things that comes down from the mountain. And so what it means is that uh, you're talking about God saying, when you come down the mountain, bring to the people in the valley um, the spoken word, as in both current revelation, uh, the proceeding word, as in the word that I'm sending in the season, and um, um, things from the written word. I'm just throwing that in just to be safe. Guys, in Amos 3.7, what does it say? Okay, don't turn there. In Amos 3.7, God says that every time I want to do something on earth, I will not do anything on earth without revealing it to my servants, the prophets. 
that's something he loves doing. Whenever he starts or initiates something on earth, he wants to uh, let people know. And when God wants to initiate a new season on earth, guys, God first, you know what he does first? He changes the mindset of the priest king. Let me build this correctly so that we don't run ahead. Just give me five minutes of your time. I'll wrap up in five minutes. But I don't want to rush through this. Guys, here's what you're saying. We are saying that one, we bring down from the mountain the spoken word or proceeding word of God. That's what we said. Now the spoken word or the proceeding word is not yesterday's word. It's not yesterday's manner. It is what God has today for the earth. It's a current revelation. It is things that God wants to do right now. People who come down from the mountain of God cannot operate by the word from yesterday. Guys, If th- this is so important that by now we begin to function at least at some degree of hearing and doing, hearing and doing. Because the proceeding word cannot operate if I don't hear and do. Hi Evelyn. I'm required that I hear and do. Why does God send current revelation of the proceeding word? He sends it because whatever he wants to do on earth, whatever God wants to do on earth, he first changes the mindset of the priesthood then introduces a new season on the earth. In Hebrews 7.12, here's what it says. It says, when God wanted to bring about a radical change in the law, guess what he did? He got rid of the priesthood of the Levitical order and brought in a new priest from the tribe of Judah called Jesus. Ha! Just think of that. When God wanted to bring a radical change in the way the law was, what did he do? He didn't come and say, okay, from today on there's a new law. No, no, no. He sets aside a priesthood that came from the Levitical order and he brings in a priest from the tribe of Judah in the type of Melchizedek called Jesus Christ. Now that he's installed a new priest, he can bring in a new law. Whenever God wants to bring about changes here on earth, He's looking for a people who are willing to listen to Him prophetically, listen to the proceeding word that He's sending, so that they can change their mindsets first. And once the mindset is changed, now He can begin to operate on earth through that people, because they change their mindset. He changes the thinking of the priesthood before He brings in a new idea. Acts 29 must become a womb in the earth that will produce the finished work of God, that will produce new seasons, that will produce the purposes of God, and that will produce it within time frames that God has allotted here on earth. 
We've got to become that womb. Where God can say, aha, want to introduce something new in the world. Just imagine this, say, eh? I was thinking of this and I think it is so cool. I want to introduce something new in the world. I do not do anything on the earth till I reveal it to my servants and the prophets. Can I hide this from Acts 29? Because they have shown themselves consistently as a priesthood that is willing to change their mindsets. Can I hide, as he asked uh, in Genesis with Abraham, the rhetorical answer is rhetor- answer to the rhetorical question is no. So he comes and says, Acts 29, here is what I'm doing in the season. Jacob, this is what I want to do with you and your people. And Acts 29 and Jacob respond and say, yes, Lord. And we become a womb that God now begins to... Um, 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 what's inseminate with this new um, thought process, this new season, this new idea, and begins to grow. And he does not want it a delay. He doesn't. He, he doesn't say, Jacob, you can take uh, fourteen months for this baby. No, 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 no. I want it in nine months, Jacob. So now Acts twenty nine has to operate within the time frames that God has given. And when we begin to do that, guess what happens? This becomes a place that God will always come and say, hey, uh, the Dabar is going out of this Jerusalem. Every time I want to do something new, I'll never leave you out of it. Now that it has formed, begin to live it, Jacob. Begin to live it, Acts 29. And now that you've begun to live it, I'll bring in people from Vernon. I'll bring in people from Australia. I'll bring in people so that they can see what this looks like. And they can go now. And impart it to others so that Christ can be formed in different places. There is nothing like being a womb for the purposes of God. That are being formed in the Kairos. And that are cutting down into measurable time. A church should desire this. A church should desire this. Mm-hmm. Guys, if not, no. If you don't do that, a whole generation will die. And God will have to look at Tavis's generation to enact his purposes. If we don't respond like this, a whole generation will die. And God will have to look at Tavis's generation to enact these purposes. Because this generation either failed to be a womb for his purposes or decided that yes, we'll be a womb for his purpose but we'll take 14 months to deliver a baby and not nine. All the activity that God wants to do here on earth is within a time frame, guys. There was a time frame of 15 days to bring Israel out of Egypt into Canaan. And when that time frame was broken, it took 40 years and a whole generation died because they did not change their mindsets. I cannot tell you how important it is for you to change your mindset in your individual life and us as a corporate people. Programs and stuff like that that happen in places all over the world. Guys, these are just sounds being reproduced without a change of mindset. One of the things I want to be careful of, and I suggest that you be careful of, is this thing where we hear sounds, but we don't recognize that the mindset behind the sound hasn't changed. We don't recognize 
we hear the sound, we hear a different sound, but we don't recognize that the mindset behind the sound has not changed. Uh, uh, there, there are churches that I've associated with over the last four years, that Acts 29 has associated with, that have caught the sound, but have not changed their mindsets. There are pastors that I have associated with, and that Acts 29 has associated with over the last three or four years, who have heard the sound, and caught the sound, but they have not changed their mindsets. And what happens is, if you're not careful, you will hear the sound and the words that they're saying, and think, aha, change is happening, change is happening. And you begin to pour like crazy into them. And two weeks later, you find that they were... Basically not changing the nappies, but just putting fresh nappies on an old, soiled, poo-filled nappy. And it stinks three weeks later. Perhaps both. No, I wouldn't agree with so hard to adjust. Let's put it this way. Everything we are doing here... Yeah, yeah. We should have. Yeah, time should be given, but unfortunately, there is no um, nice, clean way of destroying a building. You destroy something slowly, guys. There will always be people there to keep building back what is being destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I would say we are losers, and that's why I, have to, I think we have to be careful and not just hearing the sound and thinking, aha, they're saying the right thing, so it should be fine. No, we've got to see if the mindset has changed before we begin to. Uh, no, you should not pour new wine into old wineskins because you'll destroy the wineskin. Never pour new wine into old wineskins. It'll damage them and do them more harm than before. You cannot build new wineskins till they change because this is a new wineskin. Do not pour new wine into old mindsets. Mindsets. It will not work. If I have done this so many times and I've damaged people, where I've gone and forced new wine into them, and when I leave them, they are worse off than when before I came. So, if you find that a person is not changing, uh, let them be, because at the end of the day, God will have to do it. Because there's no point. Let them be. By the way, it's the same attitude I would adopt with you and that Eddie would adopt with me. Frightening, eh? Safe too. Because otherwise you end up destroying the wineskin. I'm done. I'm done.